Thank you for joining us today with Newly Awakened Ministries. Lord, we thank you for tonight, God. We just thank you for just the way you are pouring your spirit out. We thank you for your loving kindness that is everlasting. Your loving kindness that remains forever and ever. We thank you, the God, that you are opening up our eyes and showing us that you are good. For it's the goodness of God that draws all men to repentance. God, I ask that you draw us to repentance in deeper ways in our hearts. Oh, Lord, fill us up with your spirit more and more and more. And refill us in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whoa. Okay. And here I'm on mic two. Mic two. Hello, hello, hello. Alright, we're good. Oh man. Alright. So guys, tonight's message is uh, <laughs> it's the way we conduct our tongue as believers. You know, we know that Proverbs 18, verse 21, that says, you know, life and death are in the tongue. You know, there is authority, there is power in the way we speak, the words that we speak, what we speak. You know, and as a believer, how should we conduct our tongue? What is our tongue? Um, you know, for that, I'm going to go to James chapter 3. If you guys are there, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Oh, okay. So I'm going to James chapter 3. Says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such well will incur stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits uh, and like you know treats into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body of the horse as well. Look at the ships. Though that they are great, they are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder. Whatever the inclination of the pilot desires, so also the tongue is a smaller part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very word of iniquity, the tongue is set among the members that, uh, which defiles the entire body and is set on fire in the course of our life and, the, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, it is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the likeness of God. 
From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain set, uh, sent out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Let me repeat that. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? No, it does not. Can a fig tree, uh, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt produce, nor can salt water produce fresh water. You know, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Okay, so we're going to, that's where we're going to stop in James chapter 3. Basically, he's saying, through our mouths, can we speak blessings and can we speak curses at the same time? He's saying that we do it all the time, but that's not the order which God created. He said that he created even a fountain of water to come out fresh water and not bitter water at the same time. So it's the same thing with our tongue. When we speak things from our life, we should speak good things. We should speak blessings. We should speak purity. We should keep things in mind of what God is wanting us to do. And so I want to start reading off some more verses on what, you know, the word says we should conduct our tongue as believers. So 2 Corinthians you don't have to follow with me because I'm just going to read them off. Second Corinthians verse 12, uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 20. It says, For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want to be, for, uh, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that I may, there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, ambition, slander, gossip, and arrogance and disorder. Okay, so a little bit of backstory. Paul, he's going up to the church of Corinth. And, you know, he is saying, look, I'm afraid I might find something that is going on that's not supposed to be in the church. That's not supposed to be in the body. And what is he saying? He's saying that there's something in the tongue and there's also something in your heart. And he's, and he's saying that there's fits of rage. There's out, in a way outbursts of anger. You know, that there's selfish ambition. You're trying to have glory and not point the glory to God. There can be slander, speaking of others, and like driving them down. Gossip, sharing everybody's business, showing their dirty underwear when we have no business in doing that. You know, having, you know, being arrogant and causing disorder, breaking away from the unity and what God is wanting us to do. And then we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, do not let any... Any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others in, is in their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So God is saying that we're supposed to be a source of life, speaking his word. You know, he's saying we're supposed to build others up, not tear them down. Amen. Everyone in the back wall, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying that whenever you speak to your friends, you're supposed to build them up, not cut them down. Make them stronger. Don't try to make them weak. You know, and then we're going to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. It says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a deprived mind, so that they do 
uh, what, what ought not to be done. They do the wrong things. It's like, and they have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Ooh. It's saying God has, because they have rejected God, God has surrendered their mind to the things of evil. And these are the fruits, basically, and the byproducts of this evil. It says, every kind of wickedness and evil, greed and depravity, they are full of envy, of murder, of strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. And they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Although they know God's righteousness, God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also prove those who practice them. Whoa. He's saying, not, does it, not only do those people do it themselves, they encourage others to practice the same things. And basically, sometimes we have to check our heart to make sure that our heart is not full of evil. We are not being, you know, we're not tiptoeing into evil ways, into wickedness. Because God is saying, I want to pull out everything of this world, everything that can entertain evil, I want to pull out. Because if you're showing fruits of evil, that's not showing fruits of me. Can you believe that in the same sentence, Paul... He writes that envy, murder, and gossip is in the same sentence. (laughs) Murder, gossip, deceit, trickery. He says it's all the same. He's saying that's all on the same level. He's saying so in the church, we shouldn't have any of those things. But you know, God, He's so gracious. He is so gracious to restore us, to renew us, and to bring us into authority, to bring us into a way that we can talk just as Jesus talked. We can speak just as Jesus spoke. You know, um, he, we, can have a, we can have His thoughts. Like, you know, in Isaiah, there's the great exchange. You know, I even says, like, my thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. My ways are much higher than your ways. And for me, when I pray, I always say, God, I surrender my thoughts for your thoughts. God, I surrender my ways for your ways. Let me walk in the way you want me to walk. Let me speak. Let me think the way you want me to think. God, renew my mind by your word. And so as our authority that is in Christ, we can go to John 14. Again, I'm going to be in the New American Standard. It's just the one that I grew up on when I was, uh, just a little backstory there. My, when I was taking uh, classes to learn Koan Greek so I could uh, read the text in the original language when I was like 13, my mom got me a Bible that was the New American Standard because my aunt and uncle, they, uh, they, have, a, they have a school, and they were saying like, that is the closest translation from our English text from the, uh, from the Greek and Hebrew. And so... You know, and that's why I didn't has like a it has a great Hebrew and Greek dictionary in the back where every word you could go back and translate. Translate it was so cool, but anyways, that's why I'm so in love with the New American Standard Bible. That's because when I was 13, it just got ingrained in me, and that's what I ate every day. 
And so starting in verse one, it says, do not let your heart be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in me, in my father's house. There are many dwellings, places. There are many houses, many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Man, that's going to bring a lot of, that's going to step on a lot of toes in modern day teachings. They're telling us, oh, you don't have to worry about, you know, about 10 to 20 years. Oh, well, they tell you like, hey, try to think so far ahead and basically forget that the arrival of Jesus is coming. You know, they're like, hey, you know, you should do this. I'm, it's practical wisdom, and I get it. But sometimes they're like, they forget the urgency that Jesus is coming quickly. And even though he's been coming quickly for the last 2,000 years, we can see the times, we can recognize, this, recognize the seasons that Jesus, he is coming, and he's coming even with the fullness of his spirit. And I believe he's been even redeeming things that, you know, past generations, like from hundreds of years ago, would ignore. God's redeeming it in the church today. And so, you know, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the, uh, the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do, not where you are, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And so Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, I have been, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. It's like he who has seen me has seen my father real quick. Is it okay if I go on a little bit of a rabbit trail with this real quick? Is it okay with you guys? No All right. So I, this is, this is nothing. This is not some deep revelation. This is just something I find so funny. Who is Philip's brother? Nathaniel. No, Nathaniel and Philip are brothers. And so Nathaniel was actually the first, you know, he was the first disciple to recognize that Jesus was the son of God. And he even, whenever he said, you know, he's like, you, you are the son of God. And he says, you know, you are a true Israelite and you, there is no deceit. He says, and because you have known that I am the son of God, he was like, you will see heavens open and angels and angels ascend and descend from heaven and greater things than you shall see than this. Well, anyways, we all know that Jesus, he always speaks highly of the father, like he always should. The father points to the son. The son will lead you to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always leads you back to Jesus. And Jesus always glorifies God. And there's the center of the Trinity. That's the cycle of the, tri uh, the, of the Trinity. And the thing is, I love it because we all know that, God, that Father God, he is the greatest. He is the one that holds the most. And so if you look in scripture, we can actually see where the brothers are always in competition with each other. Who's going to be better? Who's going to be greater? And it was funny that when Philip was right there and he brought Nathaniel over and he heard this, he says, greater things than you shall see than this. And he says, you know, 
if you see me, you shall see the Father. And he's like, wait a minute, here's my moment of opportunity. If I can see the Father, then I can beat out Philip. I mean, that, for, I, mean I can beat out Nathaniel. That's what, for me, I just think that is, that's funny, in my opinion. So there was a real, there was a pure heart in saying, I want to see the Father, but I also feel like he was, he was in competition in the back of his mind. I want to see something greater than what Nathaniel will see. Um, and so, restating verse 9, Jesus said with him, Have I been with you, been so long with you, and you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is dwelling, he is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, or in other words, my own revelation. But the Father abiding in me, dwelling in me, living in me, does this work. And he does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father, he is in me. He dwells in me. He lives in me. He operates in me. He speaks through me. He works through me. Otherwise, believes in the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do... He will do also. Basically, if you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and you accept me in your heart and your life, then you are going to operate just like me. If you say that the Father, you can see that the Father lives in me and that I am living in the Father and you let me allow, you allow me to live in you, then you are going to work just as I work. You're going to operate just the way I operate. You're going to speak just the way I speak. You're going to think just the way that I think. You're going to do miracles the way that I do miracles. And he says greater works than he will do because I go to the Father, because he is our mediator. He is the great connection, the great unifier of Father God and man. So whatever you ask in my name, and as we know later on scripture, that's in as well, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Man, that's pretty powerful. If you ask me, if you ask, it's like with your tongue, right? <laughs> if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another, you know, other translations say another savior, another comforter. And, you know, but helper is really good. Uh, he may be with you forever. That the Holy Spirit, that the role of the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive... Because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Amen. He's saying there's one coming that will come inside and live in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Man, I love that real quick. I love that statement. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was one of the early church fathers where he says that the son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men can become sons of God. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And after a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. And because I live, you live also. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I will live and dwell in you. 
He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Basically, the one who says they know me, you will be able to tell them by their fruit. And what is he saying? Love one another. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and he will and my father will reveal me to him. Mm. And, you know, Judas, not Iscariot, you know, another Judah said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself, reveal yourself to us and not of the world? And Jesus said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our dwelling, our abode, our abode in him for he who does not love me does not keep my words. He who does not lead, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Real quick. Do we believe that Jesus, he is the word of God, that he is scripture, that he came to dwell among us? He is the word wrapped in flesh. Man, I can tell you that when I, whenever my first year of ministry school and they were making us memorize like six or seven different passages of three or four different scriptures and they all kind of sound alike and they were all paraphrased just a little differently and I had to go do it, man, I the first three tests, I scrambled all of them up. Man, I, I mean, I'm talking about like, it's not like I was even not studying. I was staying up to like three or four o'clock in the morning, like, for, like studying for like eight hours and still messing it up. But I found this verse, you know, 1426, John 1426. And he says, the Holy Spirit will speak all of these things that I've spoken to you. He'll bring back to your remembrance all these things. I was like, ooh. And for me, I was thinking, I found a cheat code. And, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm going to pray these scriptures until, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to pray these scriptures until you speak it back to me. And so, <laughs> so even though I believe you spoke to me, I would pray, and when I would hear his voice, I would stop studying, and I was like, okay. And whenever I went up to study, or no, whenever I went to go take the test, I would say, Holy Spirit, your word says that you'll bring it back to my remembrance, and I would start praying, and sure enough, even if it was a chapter long, two chapters long, boom, hundreds on the test. Man, I'm telling you, that's what I'm saying. Like everything that he speaks to you, he will bring back to your remembrance. And then he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. The peace of the Lord. Not as the world gives, do I give something to you. Because we all know that the world can be half-hearted. The world can be impartial. The world can try to have basically a tagline at the end of it and try to say, you can have this, but it's going to cost you something more. You know, I was just teaching and speaking on this um, last week, and there was something that was so interesting. The way the world gives is kind of like with uh, Jacob getting the inheritance of Esau. First, he asked for his birthright, but the thing is Esau didn't recognize that his the the inheritance of his birthright was the blessing from his father. And so whenever he even surrendered his birthright, he was also surrendering 
his blessing. And, and, and when you read, Esau didn't, never made the distinction of the two, and he thought he stole both, but really they were one and the same. You know, the world will try to give you something, but it's going to cost you something a little bit more than you think. So he's saying, my peace I give to you, the peace of the Lord, my peace I will give to you. And not as the world gives do I give to you. And let your heart, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He says, do not have a place for fear. Do not have a place for trouble in your heart. You have heard that I've said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you will have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this that, uh, before it happens. So when it happens, you may believe. And I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing to do with me. But... So do that. Uh, sorry. So do that. The world may know that I love the Father. Be a good testament of me. Be a good testimony that I love my Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up and let us go from here. You know, there's something really important that he even that he says. He's saying, love. As I loved, because if you show that I love well, then they will know that he's like, then they know that my father loves them well. And the thing is, I was even just talking to a guy last night and he was telling me he was atheist and he was battling between being agnostic and being, you know, in an atheism. And I was telling him, why is this? And he says, it's because of the way I was like, what do you have against the Bible? He's like, well, it's not really against the Bible. He was like, it's really against, you know, what the people in the church would do to me. That was what the way they would speak to me. It's the way they would represent Jesus. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, well, you know, that was just a wrong spot. Those were just people that really didn't know how to love well. And I was telling them, I was like, and the thing is, the Lord was bringing this quote up to my memory because later on he was telling me he actually studied Buddhism and he was in uh, Hinduism and different things and even uh so many different other type of religions he was studying because he was wanting to feel something real. You know, the Lord, he was bringing up to my, remem my remembrance of him. He said, who in here knows who Gandhi is? He even, he even said, he's, I, he's like, I've read your Bible and I love your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. It was because the way that the Christians were teaching him did not reflect the love of Jesus. And so what we really need to be careful careful is that we need to show that we love others well to show them that Father God loves them. Because if we carry around the name of Jesus and we start offending and we start hurting other people, then what are we doing? We are showing the badge. We're showing the badge of Jesus to the world that, the, we, that Jesus doesn't care for him. And if Jesus doesn't care for him, then his Father doesn't care for him. And if, his, and if Jesus is rude to him, then the Father is rude to him. Because why? Because we were being rude to them. And that was never what Jesus had called us to do. And so that's why He's saying, keep a good testament. Okay, so going more into the authority of what Jesus has for us, we're going to go into Mark 11, verse 22 through 26. It says, and Jesus said, uh, and Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, 
be taken up and cast into the sea and has no doubt in his heart, but believes with what he says is going to happen. I'm going to stop right there. My grandfather, his name's Pastor Montoya. He would always say, when you're, when your faith, when your, when the faith of your heart aligns with your mouth, your faith will manifest. When your heart aligns with your mouth, your faith will manifest. And I believe that is so true because that's what Jesus is saying right here. He says, and does not doubt. He says, be taken up and cast in the sea. And he does not doubt in his heart when he says this, but believes that what he says is going to happen. It will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things which you pray and as I and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Whoa. Basically, forgiveness can be holding back offense, you know, forgiveness with offense for people that might have hurt us or mistreated us, you know, forgive. So if anything stands again, if anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you of your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive you of your transgressions. Man, Jesus wasn't playing. He was saying, he was saying, you know, forgive just as I've forgiven you. He's like, because if you can't forgive here on earth, my father can't forgive you in heaven. You know, release the things that release old offenses, release old habits, release those that have, you know, tormented you, bullied you, you know, might have said that they were Christian. In misrepresented Jesus, and so we're holding grudges for years. Let him go. And so, what? So, what do we have in Christ as our inheritance? First, <laughs> there, there's a couple thoughts I want to break into this. You know, what do we have as Christ in our inheritance? We know that Jesus, he went up on the cross to take away our sins and to give full repentance, to bring full unity, to bring full reconciliation between God and man, right? He also came to empower. You know, in Ephesians 4, he says, you know, says, you know who can ascend into heaven, uh, into the heights of heaven, if the... This is the same one that has to descend to the lower parts of the earth. And whenever he would descend into the lower parts of the earth, he took captive the host of captives, and he ascended up on the heights, and he released and gave gifts to men. And so he gave gifts. You know, he took captive with the things that the enemy has stolen from him, and he's giving them back to his people. And so what do we have in inheritance with Christ? We have the things of the Lord. We have the things of the Spirit. We have healing. Healing is the children's bread, right? We believe that we have, we can forgive. We believe we can see other people and be made whole. We believe we can cast out demons in Jesus' name. We believe that even the presence of God, some people take the, the presence of God, you know, for, for granted. Sometimes we can take the presence of God. Something that we find to be so simple is actually something so extravagant. 
The presence of God is not normal. But if we shape him to be normal, then we are going to walk as if it's normal. Now, it should be normal in our life. It should be something that we have every day. We should walk with him every day. But we have to acknowledge that his presence is extravagant. And it's not common. Because what we receive is what we will reflect. And if we receive him as common, then we're going to reflect that we serve a common God. But if we can actually receive that we have an extraordinary God, then we're going to reflect that we have an extraordinary God. And so there are so many things that God has given us. God has promised us in his word. And the thing is, as us as believers, we usually don't take advantage or we don't. I wouldn't say take advantage. That's a wrong word. But we do not utilize the gifts. We do not utilize the presence. We do not utilize uh, the things that God has given us. Why? We even have an example of the prodigal son. We're not, I'm not talking about the prodigal son, the one that went and spent his money on harlots, the one that found himself in the king and the pig's pen, the one that found himself with no friends, the one that found himself in, uh, in utter poverty, the one that came to, to find... No, I'm not talking about that guy. I'm talking about his older brother. He's the one that saw his brother being celebrated, the one that was saying, Father, you celebrated him, but you've never celebrated me. You've given him a ring. You gave him new shoes. You gave him a coat. You gave him a fatted calf. You know, you celebrated him with the highest things, the highest ways that you could. You've never done this. And the father, he says in Luke chapter 15, verse 31, the father's response, and he says to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. So us as believers, we have to know that it's not that we can't have the fatted calf. He's saying, go get it. He's saying, go get it. Sometimes we have to stop saying, oh, I hope Father God will celebrate me. He says he already celebrates you. And just be with him, dine with him. He's like, stop being afraid to get what he's already given to you. And so with Jesus, what do we have? First, his, his presence casts out fear. His peace goes beyond all understanding. His joy is furious and passionate, loving joy. His boldness is of the Holy Spirit. We have all these things in him. So let's start acting like it. Let's start walking in it. You know, I'm not trying to be aggressive in a mean way, but I'm just trying to say, let's prompt our hearts to walk in what God has for us. And so what does God have for you? He, we have everything that is in Christ. And so, guys, I really don't have much for you, much more <laughs> after that. Thank you for listening to this week's Fuel the Flame from Newly Awakened Ministries. You can follow Newly Awakened Ministries on Facebook and Instagram. You can also connect with us through newlyawakenedministries.com.